Thank you again, Jennifer, for, for coming and uh, for sharing with us, blessing us with your talents, with your passion and your testimony for the Lord. Church family, if you have a Bible, why don't you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter number 2. 1 Timothy chapter number 2. And uh, two Sundays ago, we started a little series through the book of 1 Timothy. We looked at chapter 1. And well, 2 comes next as we're counting, all right? 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want to ask the question this morning. What kind of church does God bless? What kind of church does God bless? And the answer to that question is the church that we want to be, right? So as we look to this chapter and answer that question, if you see anywhere and you say, well, the Bible says churches are supposed to be like that, and I feel like we're not quite there, well then, brothers and sisters, we've got some work to do, all right? And that's okay. It's much better to be honest with ourselves and say, here's where we are, here's where we want to be, here's the gap we got to make up. Let's work on some things. Much better to be honest in that way than just to pretend everything's fine if, in fact, it's not fine. So, again, the question of today's sermon, what kind of church does God bless? Now, we live in a day when the vast majority of churches do not seem to be experiencing the blessing of God. In, in any amazing sort of observable way. I mean, our churches are okay, and they meet for worship and things like that, but did you know in the year 2019, okay, so right around, right before the time that COVID really took hold and we could see the effect COVID was going to have, and of course it had its own effect, but before that, there was a research group that studied um, 34 different Protestant denominations. It was determined that in the year 2019, 4,500 churches closed their doors. They didn't have enough people coming to worship. They weren't able to take up enough money to pay their light bill, and so they just shut down. Now, in some of those instances, the buildings would sit vacant, and others of those instances, maybe some other group would come in and rent the space and try to build a church, but those numbers are not good. Consider this. In 1947, 73% of the American population claimed a church home where they had membership, where they were active, where they attended services, okay? So that's 1947, 73%. That's almost three out of every four Americans. You compare that with 2021, the number plummeted from 73% of Americans having a church home to 47%. So that's less than half. That's a huge discrepancy in only about one generation or so. And so I need to ask this question now with a little more urgency. Church family, what kind of church do we need to be if we're going to operate within biblical guidelines and thereby experience the blessing of God? What kind of church does God bless? I believe the answer is found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, at least in part. Everything we read here will be accurate. It may not be comprehensive, but indeed it is right. And we do well to take note. Why don't, why don't we read this chapter together? It's not a long chapter, a dozen verses or so. And then I want to share with you four characteristics of a church that God blesses. Let's read together. 1 Timothy chapter 2. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. All people. Pray for everybody. For kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Notice what verse 4 says about our God, who desires all people to be saved to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, Paul will now give a little autobiographical note. He says, for this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. He says in verse 8, I desire then that in every place, and let me just give a little note about the background here. Remember, Paul is writing to Timothy. 
Timothy's a pastor in the area of Ephesus. Here, particularly when he gets to chapter two, he starts telling Timothy how he wants him to set things in order there in the church where he serves as pastor. When he mentions every place there in verse eight, he's talking about, listen, every little location in your region, right, where Christians gather for worship, every place, here's what I desire, that men should pray, lifting holy hands, without anger or quarreling. Likewise, now get ready, it's about to get interesting, okay? Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty, with self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. Some of you are thinking, oh my goodness, I wore my pearl earrings today. And here he, we'll talk about that, okay? But instead, here's how they should dress themselves. Verse 2 says, but with what's proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Right? It's a long sentence. It's kind of added on at the end. He said, listen, the focus uh, of how you present yourself ought not to be so much on how you look as it is with how you are, what kind of person you are. Let your outfit and your adornments, let them be good works is what Paul said encourages Timothy to maintain in those churches. Then look at verse 11. And here things get real interesting. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. You know, as I studied this sermon, I remember, really, I studied it week before last as we were getting ready to go on vacation. I remember thinking, well, I'm going to stand there. I'm going to look at that church. I'm just going to be so bold. I'm going to tell them. But now that I see all you women out here looking at me, I'm just not feeling quite as confident. I don't know. Look with me at verse 11. It says, let a woman, woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Then he gets very specific in verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet, and honestly, verse 15 is the most tricky of this entire passage in terms of trying to nail down exactly what's being referred to. He says, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. I do want to point out both with regard to men and to women in these instructions for the kind of church that God blesses, the idea of self-control is promoted. Self-control, right? Controlled by the spirit of ourselves. Not what we want, but what God wants. Would you bow with me? Now that we've read this chapter, we're going to pray and ask God's blessing as I share a few thoughts on this, this message. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, we ask that you would fill this sanctuary with the power of your Holy Spirit as your word is here proclaimed. Lord, may we not get bogged down in the the, the details of controversial passages. God, what we want is to encounter you through your word. And so God, as you have prepared me, will you use me now to do a good job preaching this message? We want to be the kind of church, Lord, that unmistakably bears the hand of your blessing. May it be, and may you use this sermon toward that end. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. All right, let me share with you four characteristics of the kind of church that God blesses. Number one, the church that prays. What kind of church does God bless? The church that prays, all right? Don't just sort of say to yourself, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, we're, we're supposed to pray. Let's get on to the interesting stuff. Notice Paul says, first of all, very first thing I want to talk about, Right, when it comes to how the people of God are supposed to conduct themselves when they come to worship, what should be top priority? He says in verse number one, first of all then, I urge. And then he mentions four different words, which are basically synonyms, all representing the idea of prayer. What kind of church does God bless? The church that prays. The church that prays, number one on the list, prayer. Not music, not buildings, not tithes and offerings, not children's programs, not anything else. Number one, prayer. The church that prays. 
One revivalist of a, a revivalist of a previous generation said, the Cinderella of the church today is the prayer meeting. He would go on to say, poverty stricken as the church is today, in many things she is most stricken here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players, many payers, but few prayers. Many singers, but few clingers. Lots of pastors, but few wrestlers. Many fears, but few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, but few intercessors. Failing here, we fail everywhere. Our church must be a church that prays. Brothers and sisters, you must be people with a prayer life. If we are not a people of prayer and our church is not a church of prayer, when we come together, if we ever ask of ourselves, well, what's the matter? We must point at least here. The kind of church that God blesses is a church that prays. He speaks of the importance of prayer. He speaks of the variety of prayer using four different words to express prayer, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. These really all refer to the same thing. The words mean different things, but it's just a different way of expressing the same reality, right? As, as uh, multifaceted as is the human heart, so much is the variety of human language in prayer. Our supplications emphasize our need before God, our prayers stress worship and reverence. Intercessions not only refer to praying for another, but the, the Greek word here actually refers to a, a conversation of familiarity between us and God as we are a church that prays. And giving of thanks should characterize the prayers of our church. Every Christian should be a grateful person. Every prayer, a grateful person. Prayer. It is a sin, brothers and sisters, to be ungrateful. We must be a church that prays. Notice he says we must pray for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. And if we do so, notice the result of prayer. God's word says this is a good thing, pleasing in the sight of God. Don't you want our church to please God? Don't you, when, when, when we close this service today, we'll pray, we'll stand, we'll all politely walk to our cars, figure out what we're going to do for lunch. But if you think back on this hour of worship, don't you want to be able to say in your heart, you know, I think that pleased God. Not just it pleased me. Right, we want to know, we want to say that it pleased God. How do we know what pleases him? Well, God's word told us here is crystal clear as absolutely possible. Pray for folks. Pray. Be the kind of church that prays. This is pleasing in the sight of God. There's few places where the Bible is just so unmistakably literal regarding that which, which pleases God. Prayer. We must be a church that prays. So let me ask you this question, just as a point of application before we go on. Right? Do you have a prayer life? You. All right, before we get to the prayer ministries, whatever formal ministries, times, places, or opportunities we have for prayer in our church, let me just ask you, do you have a prayer life? One respected minister has said there are three persons living in each of us. The one we think we are, the one other people think we are, and the one God knows we are. And your prayer life is a revelation of just that. Let me give you these three words of encouragement, very practical words on how to help cultivate a prayer life. Number one, keep a list. Keep a list. You want to get something done? Make a list. Keep a prayer list of the things you're praying for. You say, well, if I do, it might get too long. Well, start over. I keep a list. Update it. Pray for it. Spend some time each morning. Pray for the things on your list. I would consider using a prayer app. If you have a smartphone, right? If you can get on Facebook on your phone, and you can, or if you can get on, on Instagram or, or wherever you get on, 
Fox News, whatever. Well, you can use an app to help you pray. There's an excellent free app for every smartphone platform. It's called Echo. It keeps a great list of prayers. You can put certain prayers you want to pray on Monday, and when you open up that thing to Monday, there it is. Tuesday, each day of the week, or things you want to pray for every day of the week, it's been a big help to me. And then thirdly, I would encourage you this. As you read your Bible, pray. Right? So as you read a story, if there's one point that comes out of that story, pray about it. I was reading this past week about, uh, oh, you have to forgive me. <laughs> Stand up in front of people and try to remember the difference between Elijah and Elisha, right? You just draw a blank. But it was one of those guys. I think it was Elisha, right? He's with these guys, and somebody's axe head falls off and goes into a body of water. You know that story? And they're all like, what are we going to do? Well, they pray about it. You ever lost something? It may seem insignificant to you. Pray about it. Just pray about it. And I remember as I read that story this week, I was like, Lord, help me to always remember to pray. Come to you about anything. Big thing, little thing, just to pray. Brothers and sisters, we've got to be a church that prays if we're going to be a church that God blesses. Let me share with you a second characteristic of the church God blesses. That's the church that shares. And very, very specifically what I mean by that is that shares the gospel with people. Not just shares our snacks or shares money through a benevolence ministry, but I mean specifically that shares the gospel, that tells people about Jesus. We notice in this passage some uh, one verse in particular that for me is very, very, very formative in how I think about God and my personal life as one of his children. Notice what verse 3 and 4 says. This is good. It's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. And then referring to God our Savior, verse 4 says of him who desires all people to be saved. All people to be saved. All people to be saved. God wants everybody to be saved. So we got to tell them. That's the heart of God. It ought to be the heart of our church. It, it ought to be the heart that pumps blood through every single space and limb and operation of this congregation. The heart of God to tell people about Jesus. What does God desire? What does he want? What's he passionate about? People getting saved. So tell them what kind of church does God bless? A church with people who tell others about Jesus. The heart of God desires every single person to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we can tell them. It's, it's not a secret. They don't have to learn a secret handshake before we let them in and then we tell them. We just tell them. Now, we live in a time, and in particular, we live in a place where most folks you know, kind of already know, or at least it seems like they do. And so when you tell them, no one's excited to hear it these days because, oh, I already know that. I got baptized when I was seven. They're 57 and they ain't been to church in 50 years. Tell them anyways. Tell them Jesus loves them. Right? Just tell them. It's not your job to change everything in their life so you can pat yourself on the back and say, I did it right. Just tell them. Tell them Jesus loves them. He died on the cross for them. If you ever meet somebody who doesn't think God wants every single person to be saved, show them this verse. Our God who desires every person to be saved. If you ever find yourself forgetting to pray for the salvation of your family or your neighbors or your friends, remind yourself of this verse. The basis for our sharing is that there is one God, only one, and there's only one way to get to him, one mediator. Verse number five says, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. There's only one God, there's only one way to be saved. It's the God of the Bible, and it's through his son, Jesus Christ, who died in our place. That's what Paul says. And what's the kind of church that God blesses? Church tells people that, right? And, and I don't just mean from the pulpit. I mean, obviously, I do mean that. But y'all, me preaching from this pulpit is one conversation this week. And really, it's a monologue because I talk and you listen. But for all, all of you that are here today, you could all have conversations all week long. And, and, and the effect would be exponential, telling people about Jesus. Verse 4 says, they must come to the knowledge of the truth. And how will they? We got to tell them. That's it. We tell them. We tell them Jesus saves. Remember it. Think about it. Practice it. 
pray about it. Look for those opportunities. We must raise up, we must send out, and we must be the kinds of people who share the gospel. So tell somebody. Tell somebody. God put a goal on my heart a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was early in the morning. I was reading my Bible. I was praying. And I was just thinking through my life. I'll be 40 in four months. I turned 40 in November. And I felt like the Lord said, what if you could share the gospel with 40 people by your 40th birthday? That's 10 people a month, four months in a row. I can do it. I've only got one so far. <laughs> 39 more. But we got started, okay? What kind of church does God bless? A church that shares the gospel. Pray for lost people. That has to do with your walk, right? Your relationship, your life of prayer. Be kind to lost people. That's about your witness. And talk to them. That's about your words. Share the gospel. Let me, let me, let me move on to number three. What characteristics... Uh, or what, what characterizes a church that God blesses? Well, it's a church that behaves. That's our third point this morning. A church that prays, a church that shares, a church that behaves. And in verse 8, 9, and 10, uh, the Apostle Paul will give some pretty specific instructions to Timothy about men, first of all. Hey, here's some things you need to tell the men they need to work on. And then women, secondly, here's some things you need to tell the women that they need to work on. And so for the men... In uh, verse number eight, let me just put it this way. The church needs men who are willing to pray. The church needs men who are willing to pray. And, and, and I don't just mean in private, I also mean in public, like in the church service. Now, some of you say, well, I don't like getting up in front of people. That's fine. I'm not gonna say it's a sin that you won't get up in front of the church and pray. But I will say this. Our church services should not feel like this is some really formal presentation to where only those who are comfortable getting up in front of everybody will pray. It should feel more like this. Like when I'm in my bed and my little girl walks in my room and says, Daddy, will you come pray with me before I go to sleep? Y'all, I'm not nervous to do that. It's the sweetest thing in the world. That's what it should feel like to pray in our services. And when Paul speaks to Timothy about the men in those churches, he said, hey, the men should be lifting holy hands in prayer. That's what they ought to be doing. The church needs men who are willing to pray. The church needs men who live godly lives, right? Lifting up. What kind of hands? Holy hands. Hands that represent a man that God's been working on, changing, forming, making more like Jesus. That's what God needs from the men in our church. And also we should point this out, men who aren't quarrelsome, right? That's what, that's what verse number eight says. Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now, for the women, a few words of instruction as well. Now, I didn't write this. The Holy Spirit did, okay? Don't be more concerned with how you look than with who you are. That's the message. There apparently were women in Timothy's church who were more concerned with looking good on the outside than they were with being good on the inside. That, that's the main part. That's the thrust. And I'll ask, I'll ask you a question. This is true for men and just as well as women. We just happen to be on the women's section here, okay? Um, ask yourself, how much time did you spend this week reading the Bible? Now, for some of you, you may say, mm, 10 minutes. And if you did, good. Some people, zero. So 10 like, Way better than zero. Some of you may say an hour. Woo, you're doing great. Some of you may say, I didn't read my Bible this week. How much time did you spend getting ready for church this morning? Now, that don't mean I want y'all to come with no makeup and your hair undone, right? But it does mean we're supposed to care more about who we are on the inside than what we look like on the outside. That was a problem in Timothy's church. I would... Suggest it's a problem in our churches as well. Now, I'll say more about that, Lord willing, tonight. That issue of, hey, is the command that we're not supposed to braid our hair, is that still binding? Are we not allowed to wear jewelry? And uh, I'll share some more about that tonight. For now, we need to move on to our final point. What kind of church does God bless? Not only a church that behaves, perhaps most importantly, a church that stands. 
which is to say a church that takes a stand. The issue before us now is that of whether women can be pastors. Let me say this. God will bless the church that stands on his word. And most especially at these points when his word so clearly goes against the flow of our culture. And so I'll ask the question, will you, will our church, will your pastor stand with God's word when it means facing opposition or being misunderstood, being thought ignorant or archaic or chauvinistic? I read to you earlier these words from Isaiah 40, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's stand with that. The word of God, which stands forever. And so as regarding the office of the pastor or, or the function of the pastor, which is to say the position and then the duties, what the pastor does, who he is and what he does, Paul is about to tell us that what a woman can do in the church, what a woman is not supposed to do in the church, and then he'll offer two reasons why. Now, I don't have a lot of time here. I know this is most interesting, but that's just the way it works, okay? Got to come back tonight. I'm going to tease you with a little this morning. Got to come back tonight if you want to hear a little bit more. Here's what a woman can do. Verse 11 states it positively. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness as it regards the question of whether a woman can be a pastor, the primary leader, the primary speaker or mouthpiece or teacher of God's word in the gathered worship service. Here's what a woman can do. Learn. Learn. Which is what we're all doing this morning as we hear the word of God being preached. We're learning together. What a woman is not permitted to do comes in the next verse. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. It's what a woman can do, what a woman cannot do. And then Paul offers a few reasons why. He gives two reasons why. He doesn't just leave us hanging, but he says in verse 13, Adam was formed first. And so when he's giving his why, his because, he refers to the order of creation. The order in which God created humanity has thus long-standing implications for the church and her leadership. Because Adam was formed first, according to 1 Timothy 2.13, men should be the pastors of the church. Now, I, know, I can imagine how most of you feel about that. Some of you may have questions. Some of you may know women who are in the ministry and think, man, they're really good persons. I'm not saying they're not, okay? But I'm saying what this says. And if you can take a verse which says, I do not permit, and make it say, I do permit, then you can make the Bible say anything you want it to. And the ground upon which you are standing is the very most opposite of firm. It is weak and you will fall. The kind of church that God blesses is a church that's willing to take a stand. Now, again, if you want to get in the weeds a little bit here, uh, I may do a special message tonight. I'd be willing to even entertain questions. If you have questions or concerns or what ifs or alternative pastor scripture, which you think may present a different perspective, join us tonight for worship at 6 p.m. We'll, we'll look at God's word in a, in a little different uh, format. Brothers and sisters, these are four characteristics that describe a church that God blesses. The church that prays, the church that shares, the church that behaves, and the church that stands. We don't want to be a statistic. I read you some statistics at the outset of this message, and they were grim. And we don't have to be. We just have to be the kind of church that God blesses. Let me ask you to bow your heads. We're going to have a time of invitation this morning. As we do, I want to ask you a couple of questions just to prepare your heart for maybe how God will address you in this time. God's word says that we ought to have a real relationship with him. Now, while your heads are bowed, eyes are closed, just, just take a little survey. How many of you here by raising of your hand can say, I have a real relationship with him? Would you raise your hand? You can put it back down as soon as you raise. Just want to see. Most, not everybody. 
Our passage today has told us to tell somebody about Jesus, right? God's heart for the lost is so on display here in this chapter. By raising of hands, let me ask you this. How many of you want to be the kind of person who tells others about Jesus? Would you raise your hand? You can put it right back down. How many of you want to be that kind of person? During our invitation time this morning, you have an opportunity to respond, to come and pray. Maybe just make a commitment today. It says, Lord, I'm going to make a commitment today to be the kind of church who prays. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I want to stand on your word. Lord, help me to understand it and stand upon it firmly. Maybe you know a lost person this morning. You want to come and pray for them. Oh, what a wonderful way to respond to today's message, praying for a lost person. Whatever's on your heart. Brother, sister, if you have a sin, you need to confess. There's no better place than here, gathered with your church family, having heard the word of God, worshiping together, and kneel between just you and God. No one knows but you and him. And you just say, God, I've sinned. I've done this. Will you forgive me? And then trust him. Trust him. If you'd like to come today to join our church, we'd love to consider you as a church member to talk with you about your faith in Jesus. I invite you to come today. If you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, do that today. Offer your heart to Jesus. Find out how wonderful he is. Come and see me during this time. Father, we ask for your hand of blessing now to rest upon us as we respond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Our time of invitation.